Mark 12, verse 41 to verse 45. I guess if I was uh, uh, giving a title to the message this evening, I would have called it Jesus and Money or Jesus and Giving. But I haven't given you an outline, so uh, you may make your own uh, title to it. Now, last year, uh, Mackenzie Bezos, uh, the ex-wife of the Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos, uh, announced that she was giving away half of a $37 billion fortune to charity. She signed what is called the Giving Pledge. Uh, this is a campaign that is, uh, has been started by the celebrated investor Warren Buffett. Uh, it encourages billionaires to give some of their cash that perhaps they have uh, made offers away. And a number of people have signed this, uh, from Bill Gates to all sorts of individuals. Now, whether you are a billionaire or you are rock bottom, there is something actually in all of us that uh, loves to give the financial resources we have uh, that God has blessed us with to others. Actually, we, there's a part of us that loves doing that. Around 10 billion pounds is donated to charities in the UK by ordinary individuals every year. Why do people give away their money? Why do they do that, right? Well, there are many reasons why people love giving away their money. One reason is immortality. Immortality. Who will remember you when you are gone? The chances are it is that person you gave something precious, something sacrificial, something that astounded them. Those are the people I like to remember us. But giving also isn't just about immortality. Giving gives us a, a sense of purpose. As we give to others, it, it, it makes us feel part of something larger than ourselves. All of us have that longing in us, isn't it? To be part of something larger. And giving is one way of trying to be part of something like that. We want to have a share in something that lasts. To be part of a team that builds something. Right? This is also part of the reason why people like to volunteer. It will be to be part, giving a volunteering are more or less similar, isn't it? It's just different emphasis. Some, of course, give not for such reasons. Some people give to be seen by others. <laughs> they give for fame, right? To have a street named after them. Uh, so that people may applaud them for some work they have done. Others give to buy influence. It's very interesting that Warren Buffett's club actually is only made of billionaires. And billionaires like to be part of that club. So they give, they get more contests with other billionaires, right? So actually giving for the Giving Pledge group is really a big part of it is networking with billionaires. So not all giving is giving. Some of it is actually about taking back. It turns out we all love to give, but not all of us, not all of us give for the right reasons or in the right way. And the problem with that is that the Bible teaches us that God is not asking us to give him money. God commands every follower of Jesus to give money. He's not asking, he's commanding. And he's not commanding you to give money to him, he's commanding you to give back to him. We need to understand that it belongs to him. And God has set clear guidelines on how we should give back to him. And my task today, 
this evening is to help you answer this simple question. Does your giving to the work of God impress Jesus or does it dishonor him? Is the way you give, does it impress Jesus or does it dishonor him? As I said, as I prayed, there is nothing more sensitive than money, is there? The Bible talks a lot about it and none of us want to hear what the Bible says about it. It's difficult to hear. But we need to talk about money and we need to ask ourselves that question. Does your giving to the work of God in the church impress Jesus or does it dishonor Jesus? And the reason we need to do that this, this, this evening is because we are in Mark, the passage we just read, and Jesus is in the temple. It is his final day on a Tuesday there. Uh, he's leaving the temple and he's not coming back. But before he leaves, Mark tells us of an encounter that Jesus uh, has uh, on this Tuesday. Uh, and uh, it's there in verse 41 to verse 44 of chapter 12. And so turn with me there. And there are just three things, really, I want you to think about concerning your money and giving. Jesus giving money. Three things. The first thing is this. Jesus knows what you give. Point number one. Jesus knows what you give. Jesus sees what you give. He's not blind to it. It has been a long day, hasn't it? We see in verse, uh, in verse 41, the clock is ticking on the life of Jesus. The whole day, by the way, prior to verse 41, Jesus has been debating with the Sanhedrin. He's been teaching the people. And this morning we saw him warning us, saying, beware of false teachers, as he warned us about the scribes. So the day now is drawing to a close. But before Jesus heads out of the temple, right, we see that we can imagine him just getting up from where perhaps he's been sitting or he's been teaching, and he's going to another part of the temple. The area where Jesus is perhaps walking to, it is the area of the temple called the Court of Women. And it is this area where visitors in the temple place offerings in the temple. And as we see Jesus there walking around in this Court of women, we can see there are 13 offering boxes. They're actually called shofar chests because they are offering boxes which are, have an opening that is sort of like a trumpet. There are 13 of these in the court of women. Now, Jesus is walking there towards one of them, but he doesn't cross there because he doesn't go very near it because he wants to stand on the other side, opposite this shofar one of the chauffeur boxes, uh, because he's not planning to give money. Rather, what he wants to do is to watch who is giving. Verse 41. Let's read. And he sat down. Here is how Mark remembers it. Um, Mark tells it through Peter's memory. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. We need to pause here. Because what Mark wants all followers of Jesus to appreciate here is that Jesus sees and inspects what you give back to God. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched, looked, inspected, we might say, people putting money into the offering box. He came out where he was, perhaps, in a, in a sanctuary like this, went to that offering box over there and stood by it, so to speak, to see who's 
putting many there. Mark is saying Jesus is interested in what you give to his temple, the church of God. That's what the temple really symbolizes. The temple will be destroyed to be replaced because Jesus has come. Jesus himself is a temple. And we are the body of Christ. We are the temple. And Jesus is looking at this temple, the people who are inside it, and he's made it his business to monitor whether you are giving or not. This is uncomfortable. What is Jesus' business with what I do with my money? Why does it matter to Jesus whether I give to the church his temple or not? Well, your money matters because your money is his business. Your money is his business because it is his business. It belongs to him. You are just a bank who is looking after the money that already belongs to God. The account owner is God. You're just a bank. You're just a steward. For you to ask Jesus what he's doing, checking how much you're giving back to him, is like the bank complaining what you're doing, checking your bank, your balance sheet, your bank, requesting your bank, your bank account details. The bank wouldn't complain about you logging on online, checking your own money, because the bank recognizes it's not its money, it's your money. In the same way, Jesus owns everything you own. Your money doesn't belong to you, you're just a bank account, even I might say, or, 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 or you're just a bank. And so Jesus is checking. He's interested in what you give back to him. He's interested in what you're doing with his money. That's why he's standing by the offering box. Now the problem is that even though you never voice it out, our behavior when it comes to giving to the church shows we think Jesus is blind. You see, many people who profess faith in Jesus hardly give offering at all. And when they do, when they do give, there's no consistency in their giving. It's almost like they're giving by chance. An American study shows that the average professing Christian gives only 2.5% of their income. You need to let that sink in. An average professing Christian gives only 2.5% of their income. That is less than some of them spend on their Christmas presents, I would suggest. And that is not really giving, it is more like a hobby. The reason why many followers of Jesus treat giving to the work of God, to the temple, to the church of God, as a small thing, is because they think giving to God is actually not part of our worship. But listen carefully, but Jesus watching over the money box in the temple shows that God expects us to worship him with our hearts and our wallets. That's why the offering box is in the temple. Giving is worship. And the reason God wants you to give back to him is not because he needs his money back. No, he can create more if he wants. But to help you to acknowledge him as the true God of your life. 
Giving is worship. If you are not giving, you are not worshiping. When you do not give money back to God, you are actually stealing from God. We are told that in Malachi. Refusing to give to God is a sin because it takes what does not belong to you. And Jesus standing over the offering box is God inspecting who is stealing from him. It is God doing the audit. He's looking to say, who is refusing to give me back what is mine? And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus knows what you give. Jesus sees what you give. Do you give regularly to the temple of God, the church? Do you give to support the work of God in this fellowship? Do you give to support the work of God widely in the church global? There are other forms of giving, but I'm sticking to the context of the pastor. There are other passages that talk about generosity, the importance of caring for the saints, but that's not what this passage is about. This passage is about giving to the temple of God, the church. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not only commanded to give, you are being watched by Jesus, our big brother, so to speak, to see whether you give. And you know, it's a wonderful thing to give, knowing Jesus is watching us. Because, you see, once you start giving back God his money regularly, your heart will be at peace. When, when in the past, when I haven't been giving, oh, I couldn't sleep. I'm like, Lord, you've got to deal with this. I, I've never had any peace. But when we start giving to God, it brings such tremendous peace. Because you stop living like a thief. You know you've been a thief, stealing from him what doesn't belong to you. You have no peace. Oh, of course, the other issues is that if you don't give to God, money just is never enough. We might come to that. I suspect we won't. But what I'm talking about here is a peace that comes from giving God, knowing you're not stealing from Him. You know, when you give God what, belo- what belongs to Him, you will not have a heavy conscience when you see the offering box outside there, or you hear the total for last month. You actually be encouraged by it. You'll be saying, oh, you know, you know in your heart that last month Jesus saw me give. Praise the Lord, right? And his grace, by his grace, is pleased with me. Now remember, all of that is money that belongs to him. So, but God has made it this amazing thing. I just think it's amazing. God owns everything. But somehow he's pleased when we give back what already belongs to him. It's quite awesome. And when you give, you have that joy. You have that peace. You see, I, encourage, I want to encourage you this evening. Start giving consistently. Not for, because I'm preaching about it. Not for the person sat next to you. Not because this church has a need. This church will always be funded by Jesus. And when he stops funding it, we know it's time to close. He's telling us, move on. Start over Datford, right? Or, or Elta, or somewhere else, right? So that's not the issue. The issue is not whether this church needs money. 
The issue is related to yourself. You must start giving consistently because Jesus himself, the Lord of the church, knows what you give, sees what you give. That is the first point. Jesus knows what you give. So give. But don't just give. Give consistently. And give sacrificially, most important. You need to do that because Jesus knows how you give. That's our second point. Point number one, Jesus knows, Jesus knows what you give. Point number two, Jesus knows how you give. Jesus knows how you do it. So let's rejoin Jesus. So he's there in the temple, right? He's sitting across this offering box. Uh, you can see people coming in and tossing money in for the collection. Uh, it's actually soon going to be Passover, so Jerusalem is swamped with uh, pilgrims from all over the world. Think of the Ethiopian unit. All these rich people have arrived yeah, for the Passover. The population of Jerusalem has quadrupled, right? And so we can imagine that as Jesus is watching this one of the chauffeur boxes for, for giving, there are many people, all sorts of people, just eager to place in large amounts, and, and they could be hearing sounds of coins, you know, dropping in. And then Mark tells us that as people are bringing in these offerings, Jesus notices something we do not expect to see. He notices a poor widow. Uh, let's listen in to Mark, in Mark, as he, as he goes on verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And the poor widow came, verse 42, and the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. This poor widow has come, and I'm wondering to myself, has there been perhaps some breathing space between the wealthy pilgrims putting in their many coins and this poor widow now who has come forward to put in these two copper coins? Is that what has allowed Jesus to see, to notice this woman in, 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 in a very crowded space it must be? Has anyone noticed that apart from Jesus, is there perhaps a priest nearby? Sometimes you, have to, you had to take your manifest to the priest before you put it in. So the priest verifies it for whatever reason. Has she done that? Has she declared that perhaps? We do not know the, the details of just precisely what's taking place here. But what we know is that the rich have given and this woman, poor widow, has put in two copper coins. And what we know is that Jesus is so impressed with this poor widow that he, we can imagine him quickly turning around to Peter. Look, 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 look at this, look at this, look what she's done, right? And that's what's going on here. This is amazing. And he's drawing the attention of the disciple to this woman. Let's, let's read on with, with Mark to see what Jesus says. Verse 43. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, I think he's grabbing them, like, come and have a look at this. And he says, truly I said to you, this poor widow, perhaps he's gone over there to chat with her, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. More than anyone who has given the whole day, she sums it all up. Our giving is greater. Verse 44, why? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
Jesus is saying, in the kingdom of God, how we give matters. Giving to God is not about the amount you give. It's so important. It is about the sacrifice of our gift. Not the absolute level, but the proportion. This poor widow has only had two coins. And she has given her two coins. So her proportion is 100%. That's significant that she didn't have one coin and gave it all. This is not about having change back. The point being made here is that she could have only, she could have given one. Even 50% for her would have been huge giving, way above what we regard as tithe. She could have kept one for herself and perhaps have called her wise, wouldn't we? But no, she's given the two copper coins, all she had. Uh, we could, there's no other way to describe what she's done. This is a voluntary sacrifice to God. And Mark wants all true followers of Jesus to learn this lesson, isn't it? Jesus knows what you give. And most importantly, he knows how you give. And the giving that impresses Jesus is sacrificial giving. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has not called you to give. Listen to me. God has not called you to give according to your means. No, 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 no. God has called you to give beyond your means. Like the church at Thessalonica. That is true giving. It is a giving that impresses God. It is giving that can only be attributed to the Holy Spirit. Sustaining you in the middle of lacking. Anything. Is your current giving to the work of God rising above your means? When was the last time you gave God resources and you felt it to the bone? The American study I mentioned earlier says about 5% of professing Christians who attend church regularly give, only 5% of professing Christians who attend church regularly give at least 10% of their income. Only 5% regularly who attend church regularly give 10, at least 10% of their income. At least 10%. The 95% are obviously giving nothing um, or very below 10%. We are seeing here that Jesus expects our giving to be sacrificial, not the small figure of 10%. 10% is not sacrificial. And that settles all questions about tithing, doesn't it? And research says most Christians do not even give 10%. The reason many of us do not give sacrificially is partly because we have swallowed the lies of the world that it is not the level of wealth, the level, that it is the level of giving that matters, not the proportion of giving. You see, the world is impressed when somebody just gives a million. It doesn't matter whether they've, had, they've got a billion, right? Because they're giving better than others. Do you see? The misconception from giving the level arises from the fact that our giving, when we give, we tend to compare ourselves to the person sat next to us. Okay? 
So if we give 10,000 pounds annually to the work of God, and no one else is doing it, we're happy. Even if 10,000 pounds is actually less than, is like 2% of our income. But giving biblically is not an interpersonal comparison. It's not about what the person sat next to me gives. It is about, it's relative to yourself. And I think this is one of the debates, why we have saw this, all of these debates, as I said, about tithing. There's so much debate about tithing because we miss this biblical point. Jesus is saying giving to God is relative to yourself. You are a steward of God's money. And God wants you to give it back to him. And so we, are, we, 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 we struggle with giving sacrificially because we've drunk in the lies of the world in this area about absolute giving. The deeper reason I think we struggle to give back to God sacrificially is because of fear. We fear that giving God back his money, which belongs to him, means we lose. You do not trust God to look after you. Your lack of sacrificial giving is actually a heart issue. Your heart is self-dependent, not Jesus-dependent. That is a big problem because followers of Jesus desire to grow in giving. And we grow in giving because giving and following Jesus are linked. Giving and following Jesus are inextricably linked. And that brings us to the final lesson we learn here. The final lesson is this. Jesus knows why you give. So point number one, Jesus knows what you give. Point number two, Jesus knows how you give. He wants you to give sacrificially. Point number three, Jesus knows why you give. The motivation for giving. What drives you in giving matters to Jesus. You see, the reason why this, you have to ask yourself, why is this story in the Gospel of Mark? Well, the first answer is that it is in the Gospel of Mark because it happened, right? <laughs> it is historic fact. It happened. But that's not enough because there are many things that happened and Mark doesn't include them. We know, they are, they are, you can just read other Gospels, you see there's a lot that happened, Mark doesn't include those things. There are things that Mark includes, others don't include. So the Gospel writer selected these, 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 these historical stories carefully, right? And the reason why Mark has included this particular story, because it fits into the Gospel of Mark. This story is a picture or a living parable of what true faith in God looks like. And that is why Jesus, has, when he sees this woman giving, he says, guys, this is what I've been talking about. You're seeing in this woman what I've been trying to teach you for the last three years. Let's read again verse 40. For, all, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. Oh, she had to live on. Oh, we can spend so much time looking at this passage. Because so far, it, can, it even points us forward to the life of Christ himself. Because she embodies the sacrificial life of Christ who, who, lays, who will let, the, let down his life. All that he has to live on, literally his life, for us. But Jesus' focus at this stage is just to point back the disciples. Because what, what Jesus is saying here 
Jesus is saying, look, true faith in Jesus, according to Jesus, is laying down your life for God. Is doing what this woman is doing. This woman has counted her life nothing in order to support the work of God. Notice this woman has done the, op- the opposite of what the scribes have been doing. What were the scribes doing this morning? They are robbing the widows. It's very people like her. This woman has done what the rich young ruler failed to do. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus because it was too much to give up everything. This woman embodies is a picture of true discipleship. She has given up her treasure to depend on God alone. It's a small treasure in our eyes because this is all she has. It's just two coins. But it is the only thing she has. And she has given it up. And the fact is that she's giving it up. She's come to the temple to give it up, as it were. And who has she met? She has met God in the temple. God the Son is there, waiting, robed in flesh, and is noticed. And he says, well then. And that is why Jesus has flagged up this poor widow to the disciples. As I said, our picture is a lie. is a picture of what Jesus has already said about following him. Turn with me to Mark 8, if you, uh, Mark 8, verse 34 to 36. Let's flick back. you see what Jesus said about discipleship. Mark 8, verse 34 to 36, Jesus said this, to verse 37, actually, and says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, just like the poor widow, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You see, the link of this passage with giving is that true followers of Jesus do not give because we expect to gain things in this life. That's the prosperity gospel. That's not the reason we give. We don't give to gain things in this life. We give because we have life. We already have life in Jesus. We can give because losing things of this life doesn't matter because we have in Jesus the true life. He is the living bread who satisfies us now. You see, this poor widow seemed to lose everything by giving, but she didn't because she already had God in her life. And we believers can give sacrificial because we have Jesus now. Are you currently giving to the work of God regularly in a sacrificial way? Well, if you are just sitting here this evening and say, yeah, I just something on my own life with this widow, be encouraged, beloved. Because your giving, Jesus is saying, is actually evidence that you truly belong to Jesus. When we think of the evidence, the fruits, of the, the fruits we should see in a, in, a, in, a, in a true believer, giving out says, number one, so far as we go through the gospel. Because we've seen it where it's failed. That's the problem with the, with the rich young ruler. The old and wealth was too much on him. So if you're giving sacrificially to the work of God, be encouraged. Your giving is evidence. It's a mark of discipleship. Yes, your sacrifice is foolish to the world, but you know that you are only a follower of Jesus because you serve a God who gave up everything for you. 
He left the glories of heaven for you. He literally gave up his life on the cross for you. And because you have been truly born again, you know, you now have his life flowing through you. And that life is a life that gives up everything for him. You know that your father delights and smiles at you when you give, don't you? Because Jesus here is delighted, his God is delighted. So press forward with your sacrificial giving. And ask God to help you give more. Look, we are always growing in giving. But we are growing, we are always growing. And so ask God to help you give more sacrificially. Maybe you are giving sacrificially, uh, but you feel discouraged because the amount of giving you give relative to other people is small. Sometimes we can feel like that. So we said, you know, yeah, I'm giving you a high proportion, but it's very little. And in the scheme of the church, it looks like it's negligible. Children, when they give, it's like that, isn't it? Their mom or dad gives them a pound, and they give the whole pound. And you think, well, is that really making a difference to our big, large budget? But in Jesus' um, divine finance, <laughs> it makes a huge difference in his economy, so to speak. Because God delights in that. And that's one of the reasons why we should not make a light thing, actually, of encouraging our children to give. Because that little giving they do, if they do it sacrificially, honors God more than if Mrs. Mackenzie Bessels became a Christian and gave away half billion. So if you're giving a small amount, be encouraged. Do not let your small gifts put you off from giving. God is delighted with your small Humanly speaking, sacrificial gift to him. Are you currently giving to the work of God regularly in a sacrificial way? Uh, the, the, the honest answer for many of us is no. For many of us, sadly, we are not giving sacrificial. And Jesus here is pointing out that your refusal to give sacrificially is a sin. And he's giving us in this passage a definition of sin I think we can draw from. Sin is living off yourself rather than from God. Sin is stealing from God. Sin is not giving back to God what belongs to him. Sin is self-dependent rather than God-dependent. And so your lack of sacrificial giving is a sin before God. You see, when we depend on our jobs, our money, our relationships to get us through life, that is actually idolatry. You know, I've been thinking about this issue of idolatry. And I've realized that when I've been speaking to you, I've been talking about idolatry in one sense. I've been saying idolatry is put anything we put first rather than God. That is true. But I've discovered another, part, another definition of idolatry as I was meditating on this passage. Idolatry is also anything we depend on rather than God. So if you depend on your job to get you through life, that is idolatry. Because as good as the job is, it shouldn't be what you depend on. It's a gift from him, but don't depend on it. Depend on God. Have faith in God. And sadly for many of us, our idols is what stops us from giving to Jesus. And the big idol we have is money. We depend on money, that's why we can't give it sacrificially up to God. You see, our giving always reflects the posture of our hearts to God. We give to things that we feel deeply connected to. I've been thinking about this. 
you know, you're on the train. Uh, before, before I had Abigail, I'm on the train. Uh, if I see something like a photo of a poor suffering child, I notice, yeah, it's interesting, she's African, yeah. I recognize that in the village where I was growing up. That's interesting. But it doesn't move me as much. But once I had, we had our daughter, all of a sudden, perhaps it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ratio uh, comparison in this advert, but that's a different topic. But the point is now, I, it, it, all of a sudden, I feel connected to that. It feels a bit more close. A bit, I'm thinking, I think I should give towards this. There's a connection there that's drawing me in. Okay? Because, you see, we give. Giving is about connection. When we feel connected to something, we give. The adverts are all about trying to establish that connection. Let me give you another example. So, if your former school got in touch with you, right, and said, we are going bankrupt, the school needs to survive, we know you have cash, please give. You are likely to respond to that. Then, if the school even down the road got in touch with you and said, we are going bankrupt, please give. You say, well, the council is not doing a lot with our bin collection. Look, let them sort it out. Do you follow that? The connection we have makes a huge difference. And the, you see, the reason, and, the, and I think the reason why people do not give to the work of God is because you actually don't feel connected to God. You feel distant to the purposes of God. God doesn't make your heart sing. You do not, you, you, don't, you don't feel connected to it. That's why we don't even give to the persecuted church. Why? Because we, 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 we don't feel a connection to them. We should, but we don't. Our giving to the work of God always expresses the value, the depth of our connection we attach to Jesus and the work he's doing among us. Giving is poor, for example, for us as a church at the moment. Why? Because us, we don't feel connected to what God is doing in the church at the moment. That's why giving is actually a spiritual warfare issue. It's actually asking God to change, to move in our hearts. Perhaps spiritual warfare is one, it's the wrong way to put it. But essentially it's a heart issue. God must make us connected to the purposes he's doing in Bexley. And of course the devil is doing what he's doing to keep us away from that. My point is that the state of your giving is raising a question. How much do you value God? How much do you value this church? And I would say, if the answer is no, it's very low, because there's no sacrificial giving, then I would say your heart is in a terrible place. You need to urgently come before God and repent of your sin. I said, every sermon must end on calling all of us to repentance. Because you need to urgently repent before God, because there's no need of you making a, you could make a resolve to give more. But start with repentance. Genuine repentance. Zacchaeus type repentance. So this evening, come before God. Surrender to God. Surrender back to God all his resources. You know, as I said, people often ask me, Chola, how much should I give to God? What's your, what's your opinion on tithing? And I always tell them the same thing. You are asking the wrong question. That's not a question Jesus asked, is asking here. The question you should be asking is, how much do you need to live on? Your money doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. So go to God, ask him, how much, how should my life be organized? How much do I need to actually live on? That's what we ask in the new covenant. That you are asking old covenant questions. 
you know, our tithing issues. In the new covenant, we, our life belongs to Jesus, all of it. So we are asking, Lord, this is my life, right? I'm going to God, I'm saying, God, my bank account is yours. Yeah, with the overdraft. My bank account is yours, right? How much am I supposed to live on? This possession is yours. If you want a house, you're saying, you are, Lord, this is your house, it's not mine. I'm sorry it's my name, but it's yours, right? By the way, there's a whole sermon about that, why you shouldn't even worry about losing your house or whatever. It's not yours. It belongs to him. And if he wants you to still be a tenant in that house, temporary steward, he'll keep it for you. And so what we should do is ask Jesus, how much should I use now? How much should I use in 2020? And the rest, Lord, show me where you want me to give it. A true follower has a willing heart to give to God. More than that, we must live in such a way that we feel the pain of giving to God. If our giving is too comfortable, if we don't feel the pain of it, there is a problem there. And I would say the problem is a heart problem. So come before Jesus now. Surrender your finances to him. Commit to live sacrificially in 2020. But as I said, if there is no desire to do that, then you have bigger issues. It means you have not yet experienced the saving grace of Jesus. We should not beat about the bush, as they say. We should be honest. Evidence number one has been called in, and it has produced devastating results. It shows we are not giving, therefore our hearts are not changed yet. If there's no willingness to give more to God, the default setting of your heart is not dependent on Christ. That means the entire fabric is corroded. And Jesus has warned us in Mark, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And our prayer as a church is that, beloved, as we worry about our finances, that's a secondary issue. Let us worry about the hearts of people who attend this church. Because when God changes the hearts of people here, our finances will improve. Well, may the Lord help you to confirm that you truly belong to Jesus and have a future with God by enabling you to grow in giving back to God. Amen.